Well, please remain standing and turn with me, if you will, to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. If you're using one of the church's Bibles, you'll find that on page 627, Jeremiah chapter 1. We're going to look at the full chapter this morning, but let's just start by reading the first eight verses. Beloved saints, this is our Savior's word to us this morning. Let us give our full and undivided attention to it. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Sends the reading of God's word at this time. Uh, Join me in praying that the Lord would speak to us this morning through it. Lord Jesus, you know the darkness of our minds and hearts. You know our fears. You know our doubts. Flood this darkness with the light of your grace and your peace. Open our minds to your truth. Grant us hope. Grant us faith. Increase our understanding and allow us to receive you through your word. Let your love shine through the pages of your scriptures. May your spirit be with us as we read and hear. May he grant us that we might delight. In all we encounter, there we ask. Amen. You may be seated. If you've ever filled in an application or been to an interview, my guess is the question you hate the most is, what are your strengths and weaknesses? How many of us are truly able to answer that question well? People are not good judges of their own strengths and weaknesses. If you don't believe me, watch an audition episode of American Idol. Uh, We think we're better at things than we are and worse at things than we are. We're just not good. We tend to be the least objective with our own gifts when it comes to judging ourselves. But it's more complicated than that because we tend to evaluate ourselves also based upon our desires. Uh, We're driven by those desires. When we want a job, we oversell our strengths. And when we want to avoid responsibility, we oversell our weaknesses. But God, God sees us clearly. 
He has a perfect track record on judging people's character and their abilities. But he sees more than what we are capable of. God sees what he is capable of accomplishing in and through us. And so God is not really interested in what you think your strengths and weaknesses are. What he wants is for you to learn to trust him, to follow him. Ultimately, he wants to change you, to shape you, to remake you. And for every one of us, that the final product is the same. It's for you to look more like Jesus. That's what God is doing in the life and in the heart of every Christian. And in a sense, that's what the book of Jeremiah is about. Today, we're starting a new sermon series. Uh, In between series, we like to return to Psalms for a while and continue, but uh, we've been in the Psalms for a few months now, and and now we're going to start looking at Jeremiah, but it's going to be a little bit different than previous series we've done through books. Uh, The hope will be to focus on the message of Jeremiah, the book as a whole. Uh, Jeremiah is a beautiful story of judgment and redemption, of death and resurrection, of loss and hope. And the danger with a long book sometimes can be to get so lost in the details that that you lose sight of that big picture, uh, to lose the forest for the trees, as it were. And my hope is going to be to try to keep the whole, that big message in view, and to focus on key passages along the way that move the book of Jeremiah along. And this book you're going to see, is it's, it's incredibly personal. Because it doesn't just focus on the message of Jeremiah, it focuses on his life as well. Uh, Jeremiah's fears and his struggles start to be front and center as you read this book. And you, you feel his doubts and his struggles and you cheer for strength for him to be able to respond well. You see, Jeremiah embodies his message every bit as much as he proclaims it. And ultimately, my hope is that you will start to see yourself in Jeremiah. That you'll identify with his fears and his struggles. And you'll take comfort in the God who meets Jeremiah in the midst of those struggles. And that you will come to believe in your heart of hearts that the God who's shaping Jeremiah is shaping you as well. Jeremiah's story is as unique as it is common. It's unique in the sense of like everyone else, he has a particular calling, he has particular struggles. Uh, His journey is unique. It's a story, uh, it's his story alone. And yet, it's common as well. Because within that story, Jeremiah stands shoulder to shoulder with everyone who has ever been called upon by God to do something they don't want to do. Everyone who has questioned God, everyone who has learned in the end that God's ways really are the best. And today, we're going to begin our journey with this dear saint. 
And what we will see is that your greatest strength is that you belong to God. Your greatest strength, if you want to write it down on your application next time you're going out for a job, is that you belong to God. Our goal today is not super ambitious. We just want to get to know Jeremiah a little bit. We want to see that God chose Jeremiah and set him apart for a purpose. That purpose was to speak the word of God to Israel and to the surrounding nations. And then finally, we're going to want to see that what is really at work is that God is reshaping Jeremiah to be more like himself, which is what God does for all whom he loves. God is reshaping Jeremiah to be more like himself. And this is what God does for everyone he loves. That's what we want to look at today. Uh, I want to start in verses 4 and 5. We'll come back to verses 1 to 3, I promise. Uh, But in verses 4 and 5, God tells Jeremiah that he knew him before he was born and chose him for a job. Now, God's not saying... (laughs) He knew about Jeremiah. Oh, I heard about you when your mom was pregnant. He's saying that he knew Jeremiah. This is a relational idea or term. Before Jeremiah was ever born, he had a relationship with God. God knew him, loved him, and had plans for him. This is not a story about Jeremiah pursuing and chasing after God. Jeremiah is the one who is pursued and loved and chosen. Now, I know, I know, I know how offensive God choosing. Hasn't God ever heard about an individual's rights, about autonomy? It's like God doesn't follow the laws of a democracy. It's like he thinks he's in charge. But does it really surprise us? Hasn't God been choosing people from the beginning? Where did things start with Abraham? He was at Ur of the Chaldeans. He was was following after pagan gods, and God came in and arrested his life and said, no, you will follow me. Come out. Be different. Be separate. What about Moses? Moses. Do you remember what Moses was chasing after? Lost sheep when he stumbled upon the burning bush. In fact, when God chose Moses, Moses thought God made a mistake. Moses didn't get it. He he wasn't a great speaker. Surely God was confused. And that's exactly what Jeremiah says. Look at verse 6. I don't know how to speak. I'm just a youth. Jeremiah is questioning if God has the right person. And if, and if he does, he's questioning God's judgment. And how often do we do that? How many times have you told God he must have it wrong? You look at your life, your strength, your courage, your abilities. You see what God's calling, to, calling you to you rule them out of order. This, this can't be right. You've made a mistake. Surely he meant to call someone stronger, braver, more capable. But here's the thing. God is in the business of using unlikely vessels. 
Beloved, the church, we the church, have got to get rid of our love with celebrity and success. That's never how God has worked. He told Israel when he chose them, I didn't choose you because you were stronger, more in number, or or, or richer than the other nations. I chose you because you were weaker, fewer, and dirt poor so that you would know it was me who accomplished these things, not you. That's how he works. But what do we do? We keep looking for eloquent celebrity pastors and leaders, and then we act surprised when they crash and burn. And then rather than learning the lesson, we look for the next celebrity to place our hope in until he crashes and burns. But that's not Jeremiah. He's young, he's inexperienced, he's inarticulate, he's terrified, he's perfect for the job. And so God sets him apart for his purpose. The word used in verse 5, consecrated, is a word we don't use a lot. It means to be cut out of, to be set aside, to called to a special purpose. God is saying, Jeremiah, without your permission, I have decided your life calling. Out of all the people in all of Israel, I chose you for a special job. I've called you to be a prophet. Awesome, right? Who wouldn't want to be a prophet? Who doesn't want to go to a bunch of angry people and confront their sin and warn them that judgment's coming? You ever heard the phrase, don't shoot the messenger? There's a reason for that. Prophets were hated in Israel. Israel had a a long history of, of abusing and even killing prophets, shooting the messengers. And Jeremiah would be no different. But that's what God set him aside to. That's what he's called him to. God doesn't ask for volunteers. He didn't give Jeremiah a way out. He said, Jeremiah, this is your calling. And so there's really only one correct response for Jeremiah. For us. Now, we're not all called to the same thing, but we all belong to God. Our lives are his to do with as he sees fit. Life will make the most sense when we are working with and not fighting against that purpose. I love how one author puts it. If we're going to live appropriately, we must be aware that we are living in the middle of a story that was begun and will be concluded by another, and that other is God. God is the ultimate author of reality. History is his story. Every breath we waste fighting against him and his plan is is like trying to fight against the progression of time or trying to fight against gravity. It's foolishness. And so for Jeremiah, that plan included being a prophet. So what does a prophet do? Well, let's read verses 9 through 12. Then the Lord put out his hand, and he 
touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over the nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. And the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The primary job of a prophet is to speak God's word. God called Jeremiah to proclaim the word. And so he promised, verse 9, put, put his own words in Jeremiah's mouth. He told him to speak what God commanded, verse 4. And this calling comes with two important limitations. The first is what Jeremiah was free to speak as a prophet. He was limited to what God commanded. He was not free to make stuff up. Far too many men called to proclaim God's word substitute their own. He was the messenger, not the author. But the second limitation on a prophet is that he can't cause the change he calls for. Jeremiah has no more power to change the hearts of the people to whom he is being sent and commanded to speak than he is able to command the sun to stop shining. And so he's going to have to depend on the word of God and on the God of that word to make those changes. His job is not to fix everything, but to speak the truth. And this is one of the hardest lessons to learn. It's hard for pastors. Hard for congregations who want their pastors to fix everything. It's hard for husbands. It's hard for wives. It's hard for parents. It's hard for children. It's hard for all of us. When we speak God's word... What do we do? We look and we don't see the change we want. We throw up our hands and we declare it must be broken. It didn't work. Isn't it great that we have almond trees? Look at verse 11. After God tells Jeremiah what he has to do, he says, what do you see? Jeremiah looks in front of him. He says, an almond branch? I think that's the right intonation at that point. And God says, exactly. Now, this probably makes more sense in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, the noun for almond tree and the verb for watch are the same root. And so, in other words, in Hebrew, like an almond tree is literally the watching tree. And using a wordplay, God gives Jeremiah this visual reminder, similar to what he did with the rainbow for Noah. And he says, Jeremiah, every time you see an almond tree and you think about its name, remember that God is watching over his word. But look what he says in verse 11, to accomplish it. I told you we'd return to verse, verse, the first three verses. Jeremiah's ministry uh, spanned 
he gives us three kings. What he doesn't tell us is that there's two more in between, but they only reigned for like two weeks each, and then their brothers kind of took care of them. Uh, five kings from the days of Josiah until the Babylonians came in and destroyed Jerusalem and took the Jews into exile. Jeremiah ministered for 40 years. For 40 years, he watched and waited for God to do everything he was calling Jeremiah to proclaim. That's a long time. It calls for a lot of patience. Every spring, he'd see the almond tree blossom and wonder, is this the year? For 40 years, he waited. For 40 years, he watched. But God always accomplishes what he says he will. He always finishes what he starts. Not on our timeline, but he does it. The job of the prophet is to speak God's word, not to accomplish the plan. There's limitations on what he's called to do. He's going to have to wait on God, just like all of us. But what was uh, that specific? What was, to whom was God sending Jeremiah? Let's read the final verses, 13 through 19. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kings of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls, all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all the evil and forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I... Behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. God commissioned Jeremiah to go to the nations, the Gentiles, verse 5, as we see in verses 15 through 19, he would also have a message or messages for the people of Judah, the southern tribes in Israel. But he would, after that, have to go and speak to those nations. And don't think this didn't scare him. His message would be unpopular. It's one thing to tell God's people that they are misbehaving. It's another thing to go to a people that hates you and your God and tell them to repent or face judgment. Then God describes the nations like a boiling pot about to spill out on Judah in destruction. So why send Jeremiah to those nations? Why is God choosing to send Jeremiah to speak to the nations when he doesn't want to go and they don't want him to come? 
Does God simply take pleasure in saying, guess what's coming? Not at all. God loves those nations. Again, it's a bit harder to see in English, but the word translated in verse 5, a point, is, is just the, the word for give, like gift. God's saying that he is sending Jeremiah as a gift to the nations. And that's because Jeremiah is not just going to confront sin and rebellion. He's going to go with an offer of grace and salvation. It's because God loved those nations that that he gave them Jeremiah so that if if they would repent, they might not die and come into judgment, but, but find salvation. Does that sound familiar? Can you not hear echoes of John 3.16 and what he's doing here? For God so loved the world that he gave gave his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Years after Jeremiah went to the nations, God would give, he would send his own son as a gift to bring an alternative to judgment and condemnation. This is why God called Jeremiah to a hard job. Because good things are found at the end of painful journeys. That is the consistent message of God's word from the beginning to the end. It should be no surprise to us that this is what God is calling Jeremiah to. So God's not just calling Jeremiah to proclaim that message. He's calling him to be shaped by it, to to embody it. Ultimately, the message of scriptures will find their truest and most perfect embodiment, not in Jeremiah, but in Jesus Christ. The Apostle John even went so far as to say that the word of God, the message of God, became flesh in Jesus Christ. Jesus embodies the message that we hear from Genesis to Revelation, that God hates sin that he loves and shows compassion on sinners, that he gives gifts to those who deserve judgment, and that he offers salvation to all who would turn from their sin unto him in repentance and faith. And so when I say Jeremiah is being shaped by the word of God, what I really mean is that God is making Jeremiah more like Jesus. The word conformity, I don't think, is sufficient to describe what what is going on here. What I'm talking about would would better better be called cruciformity because because Jeremiah is being shaped by the cross of Christ. As we get to know Jeremiah together, we're going to see 40 years of waiting. And during those 40 years of waiting, he'll face hostile audiences, unjust imprisonment, and yet bold preaching. And we'll see God's grace and God's redemption. This book is about reforming and reshaping the people of God into his own image. And so it can't be read from a distance. Well, it it can be, but it shouldn't be. (laughs) This book invites you in. 
to walk this journey with Jeremiah and to see yourself in him, to share in his confusion, to partake in his joy, and to learn to wait on the God who accomplishes all he says he will do. And the hope is that you will see that God is not just reshaping Jeremiah through all of this, but you as well, that he's making you more like Jesus, that he's shaping you according to the cross of Christ. Now, I know this sounds daunting. It sounds scary. It's too much. You want to say, I'm no prophet. Maybe people like Jeremiah can handle something like that. You've got the wrong person. If that's your response, you're not alone. It was Jeremiah's initial and recurring response. And so the last thing I want to look at this morning is the assurance God gives to Jeremiah that he need not fear. Verse 8. Fear not, Jeremiah. Why do you think Jeremiah was scared? Of course, it's in part because of the pain that is sure to be ahead. But look at verses 6 and 7. Jeremiah's immediate temptation to look, was to look at his own ability, his own strengths and weaknesses for comfort, and he could find no comfort there. I'm only a youth. What hope do I have? And God's response, don't rely on yourself Trust me. God's command not to fear is an invitation for Jeremiah to look away from himself and to look at God. Twice he underscores this, verses 8 and 19, with the assurance that he is with Jeremiah. Twice. God does not call you to a hard road and then say, good luck, hope to see you on the other side and abandon you. He walks every step of the way with you. When you rely on your own strength, when you think you're alone, you will be filled with fear. But when you are convinced that the God who calls you walks with you, you will have confidence, you will have courage. Whatever God calls you to, have this assurance. He goes with you and he will not leave you. He will not forsake you. So let's close where we began. What is your greatest strength and what is your greatest weakness? If you're honest, you'll say your greatest weakness is your fear, your doubt, your sin, your rebellion. It's you. But what's your greatest strength? Is it not that the God who calls you goes with you? That he loves you? That he gives you gifts? That you are not your own, but you belong wholly to him? And that as you walk, you don't go alone, but he is with you always? That 
was Jeremiah's greatest strength, and it's, it's yours as well. But that road is long, and we're quick to forget. And God is never one to pass up the opportunity for a visual reminder. Like that almond branch, God gives you bread and wine as visual reminders that the word of God was embodied in Jesus Christ who took on flesh and blood, that he came not to walk an easy road, but one that would end on a cross. And that the story ended with mercy and grace and salvation. The road that God is calling you to is not an easy one. It is one of cruciformity patterned after the cross of Christ. But you're not alone. As surely as the bread and the wine go into you, God says, Jesus is with you every step of the way. So you need not be afraid because he is with you. I'd like to ask the elders and Pastor Brian to come forward that we might receive this beautiful visual gift and reminder this morning. And please join me in prayer. Our gracious God, Emmanuel, we thank you that you are a God who is near his people, who cares for them, and who keeps his promises, who watches over his word to accomplish it. Teach us to rest in you, to trust you, and to wait patiently. More than this, teach us to be more like you. Do your work in us, shape us, form us, Make us like Jesus, for that is our greatest end.